This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. We've got to put the brakes on going through 1 Corinthians for just a few weeks. You know, since the beginning of the year, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and it's been awesome. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Um, the last couple of weeks, we put a break on it because we're actually in the middle of a study called Mythbusters, and then we're going to get back to 1 Corinthians right after next week. Next weekend is Mother's Day. Mothers, we're going to have all kinds of stuff for you. It's going to be awesome. We're going to celebrate you. But Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case detective, is going to be here next week. Because if you have any friends that are skeptics or, or uh, just kind of checking out Christianity, get him here. He's going to talk to us about evidence for Jesus. The resurrection is going to be amazing. And then we're going to celebrate mom. So it's going to be a fantastic week. And then we'll get back to 1 Corinthians. But we are going through this little mini-series called Mythbusters. And uh, today, we are going to tackle the topic of doubt. We are going to look at doubt. Now, doubt is one of those topics that everybody can relate to. I'm not going to say show of hands because I don't want anybody to lie in here. Because 100% of us have dealt with doubt at some points in our life. And even may, even today, be dealing with doubt. And that's what we are going to, to um, check out what the Word of God says today about doubt. I'm going to be all over the Word of God today, so we're not going to have a reader. We're not going to go through a passage. I'm actually going to talk about three different stories in the Word of God that have to deal with doubt. And then we're going to see what the approach was for them and, more importantly, what Jesus has to say about doubt. But let's spend some time praying this morning, kind of just getting our thoughts some, clear, some clarity here. And uh, let's go before the Lord. Father, oh, you are so good. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. And as we worshiped you now, Father, I hope that was a sweet aroma to you because we did it sacrificially. Just praising you, Father. Father, may your glory fill this place today. May it be so evident, Lord, that we can hear and, and see your work and be in awe. Speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, as we open up your word. Challenge us, Father, as you so often do. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, Clovis Hills, check this out. There's a lot of notes this morning, so take out in your bulletin the sermon notes. And even if you're not taking notes, it's okay. You can just follow along because you'll know when I'm getting close to being done. And you can stop counting the lights in here. I get it, man. Sometimes we just zone out and there's like 52 lights. I get all that stuff, man. But follow. Here's your notes because I'm going to go quickly through some of it. When it comes to doubt, for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, it's probably true for, for everybody else, but for sure those of us who are followers of Jesus, when it comes to doubt, there really is two main questions that we have to tackle. These two, main, these two questions often come upon us when we least expect it. Like doubt is one of those things you don't put in your Google calendar. You know what I mean? You don't go, you don't, hey, 9.30, Tuesday, I'm gonna have a cup of coffee and I'm gonna have some doubt. Like that doesn't happen. It just comes upon us, right? You're not like coffee, doubt, and a scone. That's just not what happens. It's at the least expected time that when the doubt comes upon us. And then when it comes upon us, we wonder, like, what are we going to do with this doubt? 
It's just one of those aspects of life as humans that we have to deal with. And we, we find ourselves doubting all kinds of things, including our faith at times. But we can doubt our finances. We can doubt our relationships. We can doubt all kinds of stuff. But it's certainly about our faith. And so these two main questions that constantly come up to us that create the doubt within us are these two questions. And if you're taking notes, it's the first two things. The first one is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Christ? Is it worth it to be a follower of Jesus? Is it worth it to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and have com- let him have complete control of my life or are we hanging on to that? And then the second question is, is it true? So we have to answer these two questions. And what I did this morning is this. I have these two questions represented in buckets. This bucket right here, is it true? Is what we believe actually true? Is the resurrection true? Because when Jesus was walking, he talked about one day he was gonna die and rise again, and the disciples were often confused about that. But, but for me, post the resurrection, that's who I wanna be with. I wanna be with the man who called the shot, who said, I am going to die, I am going to rise again, I am going to ascend into heaven, and he did it. And I want to be with him. But sometimes it begins to seek into our minds whether that's true or not. If you have any doubts on that, I want to encourage you, come next week. Jay Warner Wallace is going to talk specifically about the resurrection of Jesus and the evidence for it. But we ask ourselves, is it true? And so we take our doubts and we often just put them into that bucket. Is it true? Is what we believe true? And we find ourselves doubting at times. Sometimes we're just not sure. And then sometimes even if we really do believe it's true, which, which you know, most of us do, and sometimes we have our doubts, but we know it's true, we then have to answer the question, if it's true, well, then is it worth it? And that creates doubt in us. And we take our doubts and we put them in this bucket, is it worth it? Like all this stuff I believe, but when Jesus came, he asked us to surrender to his lordship, and that means life looks way different than what the world looks like. And so we gotta, we got to adjust. we got to surrender to his lordship. And, and if we're serious about that, there's going to be times that we go, man, it might be true, but I just don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's worth it to give up some finances like, like Jesus asked us. I, I don't know if it's worth it to give up time because time is precious. I, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if I can handle the relationship standard that, that Jesus calls us to because the rest of the world looks like they're having fun. And I don't know if I can surrender to that. I, I think it's true, but I just don't know if it's worth it. These two questions right here must be answered. And it's, it's in our times of doubt that these two questions creep in. Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it true? The good news is this that everybody that we find in Scripture, so many people that we found who are following Jesus had to answer those same questions too. They had to ask, is it true? Is this what what this guy is saying who I'm following? Is it true? And if it's true, I, I don't know if it's worth it. John the Baptist is a perfect example of that. Now, John the Baptist, out of anybody else, you would have thought would never have doubts, would never doubt who Jesus was. The Bible says that John the Baptist knew who Jesus was and vice versa. John the Baptist is the one that ushered in the kingdom, who ushered in the Messiah. 
Like he was the appointed prophet when the Messiah was to come. John the Baptist was going to usher him in. He is the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who Jesus was. And he experienced him. Even at birth, the Bible says that John the Baptist, he was in Elizabeth's, you know, tummy. That was his mom. And Jesus was in Mary's, you know, tummy. And the Bible says that, they, they, you know, Elizabeth and Mary, they were cousins. The Bible says when they were in the same room together, even before they were born, while they were in the womb, they knew who, he, they knew who each other was. Because the Bible says that even though they were still in the womb, that they would leap with joy in the womb. I don't know how that looks. It's like, woo, you know, I don't know. Jesus, you know. But the Bible says that John the Baptist knew who Jesus was while he was in the womb. This is a guy who knows Jesus and who he was and what he came to do. John the Baptist is the one that baptized Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and, and John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy to baptize you because he knew who he was. He knew he was the Messiah. But he baptizes him and then the heavens open up. And the father says from heaven, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist is right there and he's like, whoa, this stuff is real. I don't doubt that it's real. But then we come across, fast forward in John the Baptist's life. And then John the Baptist finds himself in prison. And even though he had experienced Jesus on all these levels, woo, and all that, he comes to this passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, which is after all the woo stuff and the baptism stuff. John knew who Jesus was, but yet we find this Read along with me. It says this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. When John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? That's a funny question. For someone who leapt in joy in his mother's womb, who baptized him, who saw him do all kinds of amazing things, who heard the Father speak directly to him. That's a funny question, isn't it? But he finds himself in prison about to get his head chopped off for his faith. And what John the Baptist is doing is this. John the Baptist is asking himself the question, is everything I saw, is it true? And if it is true, I'm sitting here in prison about to get my head chopped off, so I'm not sure it's worth it. Is it true? Is it worth it? And we find himself in this state. You would think that if you experience Jesus enough, that these doubts would go away, but we find John the Baptist full of doubt as he sits there in prison. And he has his disciples go ask him the question, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Well, don't you know that already? Haven't you seen what I do? And then Jesus sits back the disciples and says, go tell John the Baptist while he's sitting in prison. The people are being healed. The blind are seen. The lame are walking. The deaf are hearing. I am the one. I am the Messiah. And yet, John the Baptist is asking, man, I'm not sure it's true. And even if it is, I'm about to die. And I don't know it's worth it. Here's the deal about doubt. And it's somewhat good news. 
deal about doubt is this, and if you're taking notes, fill these in because I'm going to go over real quick. The truth about doubt is this, that 100% of Jesus' first century followers experienced doubt. 100% of them. In fact, I could take away that phrase, first century followers, and just say 100% of us who are Christ followers have experienced doubt. I know I have. And I know I'm supposed to be a pastor. I know I'm supposed to have it all together. The, the reality is I don't. And there's times in my life that I ask the same questions. Man, I think it's true. And even if I think it's true, I'm not sure it's worth it. And I find myself dealing with doubt. A hundred percent of us. That's the good news. We're not alone. Peter, Paul, James, all the forefathers of our faith, going even back to the Old Testament, dealt with doubt. So don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of it. But deal with it. The next, the next truth about doubt is this, that Jesus doesn't toss you out if you doubt. Jesus does not toss you out if you doubt. You're like, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's worth it. Jesus doesn't look bad down at you and go, you turd. He doesn't. That would be harsh words for Jesus now that I think about it. But he doesn't. He looks at you and says, man, I know you're doubting. And I'm not going to toss you out just because you doubt. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be here and I'm going to be ready for you when you're ready to work out your doubts. Then the third thing is this. Jesus doesn't toss you out if you doubt. He doesn't toss you out. He doesn't say you're disqualified. He doesn't say, nice try, thanks for coming, now get away. He doesn't toss you out. That is incredibly good news to me because if Jesus tossed me out when I doubt, then I wouldn't be here today and neither would you. He doesn't look at us with this gross disdain for us. He still looks at us with a compassion and love and says, I understand you have doubt and we need to work it out. Because he doesn't want to leave you in your doubt. He wants to work with you in your doubt, but he's definitely not tossing you out. And here's the scripture. Matthew chapter 14, 29 through 31. You want, a, you want an example of this? Here it is right here. Peter is with his disciples in the boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden they look out and they say, who's that on the water? Someone's out there on the water. Is that a ghost? And somebody finally says, no, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. He's walking on water. Could you imagine seeing Jesus walk on water and you still have doubts? But yet they did. I would have too. And so Jesus is walking on the water, and what Jesus does is he invites the 12 disciples to join him on the water. You think the party's on the boat? The party's not on the boat. The party's out here with me on the water. Come on, guys. And who's the only one to jump out of the boat? It's Peter. Peter jumps out of the boat, and he begins to walk on water. Only two people in history walked on water, Jesus and Peter. That's an exclusive club. And so we find ourselves right here, Matthew chapter 14, verse 29, taking it up from right there. It says this, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to seek. He cried out, Lord, save me. By the way, isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that a fantastic prayer? Sometimes we, we, we say Peter's such a bonehead and he, and he does do boneheaded things. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's a legit prayer. I know I have prayed that prayer before and many of you have as well. And that is legit. Lord, save me. Sometimes that's all we can muster, right? Lord, save me. So he's drowning. He's sinking. He says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus looked at him and said, you big dummy. I told you not to do that. No, it doesn't say that. It says this. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? I want you to understand the importance of the correlation here. Here's the correlation, and, and I really want this to sink in here. While Jesus, I mean, while Peter was doubting and he was sinking, he cried out to Jesus, and in Peter's doubt, Jesus reached out and grabbed him. He didn't say, How's it down there? Is it cold down there? What you do? I hope you can swim. Don't drown. Jesus didn't say any of that. He reached down in his doubt. See the correlation? You're not knocked out because you doubt. He reached down and he grabbed Peter and he picked him up. And you know what's amazing? He said, let's walk back to the boat together. Peter walked on the water again. And he has this intimate conversation with Peter. You know why it was an intimate conversation? Because the other 11 knuckleheads were too afraid to get out of the boat. And they didn't know what was happening. They didn't know the conversation Jesus and Peter were having because it was intimate. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, why did you doubt? I'm right here. And I'll always be right here. And if you just keep focused on me and you put your faith in me, there's no need to sink anymore. Once you let your doubt sink in, then you're going to go down. But I'll be here and I'll pick you up. And when I pick you up, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to wipe you off. And I'm going to say, let's do it again because you're not disqualified because you doubt. He's ready to pick you up and work it out with you. And I love the fact that he walked back to the boat. He didn't say, dude, I'm walking back and you're doing the breaststroke. Breathe, 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 all the way to the boat. That's what I would have done. <laughs> you dummy, you're swimming, I'm walking. But Jesus didn't do that. So right in the middle of all of this, Peter's asking himself, is this true? And even if it is true, I'm not sure it's worth it. Is it true? I'm not sure it's worth it. Oh, souvenir, front row, right there. Uh, here's the deal about doubt. We all have doubt. And it's not just a faith thing either. A lot of times we think doubt is a faith thing. Like if you're a Christian or you have this spiritual view and, and Jesus is your Lord, then you gotta have faith and, and, and you're gonna have these doubts and all of that's true, but it's not just a spiritual thing. Everybody has doubt. There's a man by the name of George Wald, 
brilliant, brilliant man. He was a professor at Harvard for many, many years. He was the head of the biology department at Harvard. He won a Nobel Prize for his work in biochemistry and mathematics. Just a brilliant man, but a hardened atheist. His worldview was that there is no God, and nobody could talk him into that. That was his view, okay? Brilliant man, brilliant scientist, brilliant mathematician, but I'm an atheist and there is no God. But I want to show you this quote from George Wald because at least George Wald was being honest with his worldview, and I appreciate it about them. Let's see that quote real fast. George Wald, this is what he said. He said this, I do not want to believe in God. I don't want to. That's my worldview. It's not in my scope. There is no God, and I'm gonna hold fast to that. I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible. Spontaneous generation leading to evolution. Now, I only show you that quote, not to argue evolution and all that kind of stuff because there's evidence for both and all that good stuff, but here's the deal. At least he was honest. At least he recognized, I'm a scientist. My worldview is that there's no God. But I want to tell you, it takes as much faith to believe in what I believe than it does what you believe. What he's saying on this quote is this. There is no God, therefore I must have faith in what I believe to be true, even though it seems impossible. That's called faith. Everybody has doubts, and everybody has to struggle with this concept of faith. What does the scripture say faith is? Faith is being sure, confident in what we do not see. That's faith. George Wall, that's faith. And so we all, no matter whether your worldview includes a God or does not include a God, we have doubts, and we struggle with that concept of believing that of which we cannot see, called faith. And it's something we'll probably constantly deal with. But here's the deal. We can't just leave doubt and we can't just keep dwelling in our doubt because Jesus doesn't want us there. It's very apparent in Scripture that that's not a good place to be. And when we doubt, we are separating ourselves from God. And so Jesus doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to deal with our doubt. It's not a big problem when doubt comes upon us. It's a problem when we don't deal with our doubt. Are you following me? Doubt's gonna happen. But what you do with that doubt really determines the direction and course you going forward. So we gotta deal with our doubt. And I believe there, in Scripture, there, there's a great way that that whole idea of faith and doubt was dealt with and as you're taking notes, it says right here, why we must respond to doubt, why we must deal with doubt. And we must deal with doubt because doubt will take you out. Doubt will absolutely wipe you out if you dwell long enough in that doubt. And next, even probably more importantly, not only can doubt take you out, but you'll never know what God would have done if you allowed doubt to take you out. For as believers, God has so much more for you. He wants and has created you with a purpose. And if you doubt, 
and you tap out because of that doubt, then you'll never fully understand and realize the potential that God has given you and what he has created you for. See, this morning, there's some of us who are dealing with some things and we're just full of doubt. But I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it's worth it. But if we tap out, we're never gonna fully understand and realize that God has you, he has you, and you tap out and never realize the full potential. This is probably best illustrated in a lady I knew down in L.A. when I was pastoring down in L.A. She was an elderly woman. She was incredible. In fact, I knew her and her husband for many years, both of them incredibly wise, and her husband's name was George, and I often went to George for counsel and advice. Just a godly man. And George passed away, and she asked me to do the funeral, and so I, I sat down with her, and I said, just tell me more about you, and tell me more about George. As I'm talking at the funeral, I want to I know about more about George. And She said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this, but three years into my, our marriage, I wanted to end the marriage. George was not a good guy. George was a horrible father. He was not a good man. He was not a godly man. And I'm like, George? Like, George, George? And he said, I was ready to give up on the marriage. You see, she was ready to tap out on her marriage. But then she said, she said, I'm so glad that I didn't. I'm so glad that I didn't choose to tap out, that we fought through it and I prayed for George and we worked things out because if I would have tapped out, I would have never understood what God had for us fully, what he designed us for. You see, George and his wife became great mentors to other couples. They became great mentors to me. And they lived the rest of their lives serving God together, living out the God-given purpose that God created them for, and that was to serve him and to minister to couples who were in need. If they would have tapped out, they would have never realized the potential and why God has created them. And that is true for you today. If you are thinking about tapping out, hang in there. Because I want to guarantee you something. God has a plan and purpose for you. And if you tap out, you're gonna lose all of that which God has created you for. Some of you are doubting this morning your faith. You're like, I'm not sure it's true. And if it's true, this, this Jesus thing, it is tough and I'm not sure it's worth it. I hope it's true. I think it's true. I don't know if it's worth it. And some of you are doubting your faith this morning. Keep leaning in. Keep going. Because God has a plan for you. I don't know what it is, but he does. He has created you for a purpose. And if you tap out, you'll never fully realize that purpose that God has created for you. That's why we must deal with our doubt John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. We're going to go all the way to verse 69. I'm going to read it because this is a story that's going to give us key insight in how to deal with our doubt. It's going to give us key insight that if some of us are just not believing or not sure it's worth it, it's going to give us insight on how to deal with that doubt. So starting in verse 60. 
It says this. Let me back up. Let me give you some context to this. Thousands of people are following Jesus at this point. He just got done feeding the 5,000. Everybody was, everybody was full. The fish and bread were enough. It was all good. You know, everybody was happy. And in those days, food was scarce. And so a lot of people, a lot of those thousands of people were following Jesus because like, man, he feeds me. I see him heal people. He gave me some fish and some bread. I'm with this guy right here. This is my man. And thousands of them were there. And then Jesus starts to teach after he fed everybody. He starts to teach. And what he began to teach was hard. It was hard for the people to hear. It wasn't like, way to go, buddy. I hope you're full. You know, next time I'll bring some tapatio, it'll be better. You know, it wasn't like that. Jesus is like, now let's get down to the nitty gritty. All you people who are following me, like I gave you some bread and it filled you physically. But if you want to be filled spiritually and you want to, for your hunger to be gone, then you got to eat from my body, is what he said. And then he says, you got to start drinking from my blood. And he starts teaching all this stuff and people are like, what? Eat his body and drink his blood. I don't understand this. I don't even know if it's true. And what he's saying, not even sure I could do it. So it's not worth it. And the Bible says that they all started to scatter because Jesus' teachings were too tough. And this is where we pick up in verse 60 right here. He says this, on hearing it, what I just told you, that hard message, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Don't know if it's true. Man, don't know if it's worth it. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling. Jesus knew his disciples were grumbling. He knew not only the people that were leaving, but his own 12 began to grumble. You know why? Because they were dealing with the same doubt that the group was dealing with. Those 12 disciples who had been living with Jesus were beginning to grumble and Jesus knew it. They were beginning to say, I'm not sure this stuff's true and I'm not sure that it's worth it. And they grumbled and this is what Jesus' response was. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and truth. What I'm telling you is true, folks, as he saying to the group. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. There's some of you who are saying, not sure that's true. Even if it is, not sure it's worth it. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled you. The disciples are sitting on the brink of disaster. The disciples, the 12, they are questioning whether they want to keep following this guy. They are teetering on that thin line of shall we continue or shall we go back to being fishermen and tax collectors and all that stuff. All of you who are named John and Andrew and Peter and James, 
You wouldn't have your name if they decided this wasn't good. We're bailing. Well, maybe some of you would. But it was a very tenuous situation that was happening. Are you following me? These guys are about to bail on Jesus. And then Jesus says this, John chapter 6, verse 66. Ooh, that's 666, man. I don't know if I believe. Holy moly, man. John, what's your favorite verse? 666. I don't even know if that's true. What is that? I don't know what I'm doing, man. Verse 66, right here. I have to entertain myself sometimes. That's how I do it, I guess. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The disciples, the big crowd, not the 12. Verse 67, he looks right at him and he says, do you want to leave too? Jesus asked the 12. And then Peter, Peter. He answered this, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He answered correct. He got the answer right because of his worldview. And this is what Peter was talking about. And this is why he answered the way he did. And this is why me and you and all of us in this room have to answer the same question. Do you want to go too? Are you struggling with doubts? That just popped out. Is it getting too hard for you? Jesus asked us that same question. And Peter's response was brilliant. You know why it was brilliant? Because Peter realized that there was nowhere else to go. He had experienced Jesus. He had experienced the goodness of Jesus. He saw what Jesus was. And he realized, listen, there's nowhere else. What happens is so many times when we want to tap out because of our doubt, we don't realize that if we tap out of our faith, if we tap out what we believe, we will inevitably step into something else. Think about it. That's how we're created. We have a worldview. And that worldview includes doubts. But we have a worldview and we have to deal with those doubts, no matter what those doubts are, whether they are relational, whether they are financial, whether you are a Giants fan and you think your team sucks. I don't know. There are doubts. Come on, Dodger fans. That's for you, Gray, right there. They'll come back. Don't worry. You don't have to doubt. Like, I hope so. But Peter steps into this moment and he realizes that, 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 which maybe we don't realize, that if we tap out because of our doubt, then we will inevitably step into something else. Sometimes that something else is work. Sometimes that something else is relationships. Sometimes we'll be chasing finances. Sometimes we'll be chasing alcohol. Sometimes we'll be chasing drugs. Sometimes we'll be chasing sex. We'll get into pornography. Whatever it is, inevitably, we will step into something out, something else if we don't work out our doubt and we choose to tap out. And Peter knew that. So what does Peter say? Where else can I go? 
what else is there? You bring words of life. And I've seen what the other is, and I don't want to go there. So I'm sticking with you. That's a big question. My last feeling is this. To whom or what shall I go? To whom or what shall I go? Yeah, I don't know if it's true sometimes. I have my doubts. I want to believe. And even if I believe, sometimes it gets tough. And I just don't know if it's worth it. And we have to answer that question that Peter answered so brilliantly. Lord, there's nowhere else to go. You bring words of life. I don't want to step back into anything else. I don't want to chase anything else. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my doubts. You see, from that moment on, Peter wasn't perfect. He still had doubts, lots of doubts. Peter didn't even show up for the crucifixion. He denied him three times. He did all kinds of wacky stuff that showed that he still had lots and lots of doubts. But Jesus didn't count him out. Because Peter understood where his faith and whom he placed his faith in. So as believers today, there's not just two buckets. There's three buckets. And this is the great thing about God, and this is his invitation to all of us. There's not just a bucket of maybe I believe. There's not just a bucket of is it worth it. There's a bucket that's called faith. That what we get to do, and the invitation from Jesus is clear, that you can take your doubts. You don't have to throw them in the buckets of doubt. But what you can do is say, I might doubt, but I'm going to take my doubts and I'm going to place them right in the bucket of faith. Because I might not have all the answers and I might question whether it's worth it sometimes. And that's okay. Because Jesus said, I am here. And if you call out to me, Put those doubts in faith and I'm going to pick you up time and again and I'm going to wipe you off and I'm going to say, let's keep going. That's what faith's all about, right? This is what our faith is all about right here. This is our faith. Now I told you the faith is believing and having confidence in what we do not see. Many times people think the opposite of faith is doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self-sufficiency. Meaning, I could do it on my own and I don't need you, God. That's actually the opposite of faith. And if you continue to walk down that road of self-sufficiency, doubts will come. But what God wants for each one of us is to take those doubts and pour them into the bucket of faith. Take those doubts, pour them into the bucket of faith. There's like gold dust in here. Bethel would be proud. Y'all get that over there in the comments, don't you? So here's our chance this morning. 
This is what our faith is about. It's about taking our doubts and saying, Lord, I, I don't know. I, I don't have all the answers. But what I am going to do is trust you. I'm going to trust what you say. I'm going to trust that because you died and rose again, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. And my life worldview is going to evolve around you because it is so worth it to put your faith in him. This is what our faith says. Romans tells us that we are all sinners and separated from God. Then Romans tells us that the wages of our sin, the wages of the fact that we're separated from God is death. That we should not be able to put our worries and trust in this faith bucket because we have sinned. But it doesn't stop there. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, it's a gift. This faith is a gift. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is good news. Because we were separated from God. We were lost without hope. And then Jesus entered into our story and he died for us. You see, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a replacement because somebody had to pay the wage. Tim Keller says it like this. If you let somebody borrow your car and while they're backing up, it's your car, they hit a post and they damage your car, somebody has to pay for that. It's either going to be you, the person driving, the insurance company, taxpayer dollars. I don't know, but somebody has to pay for it. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. It says, while, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the basis of our faith. And it's good news. So the challenge is this. The Bible tells us that whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter did that, right? Help me, Lord! The Bible says, look, the work is done. This is what my faith is about. Now it's just you believing in that faith and trusting in me. And you can have life and life eternal and life abundant that is the basis of our faith. And we could put all of our doubts right in there and know, and know that God is more than able to deal with everything we give him, even our doubts. So we're gonna moment, we're gonna pray. But before we do, you might be here this morning you might be like, man, I, I have so many doubts that I, I'm so far from God because of all the doubts that I have in my life. You might be here saying, man, somebody drove me to church this morning. By the way, you're not here by accident. Somebody drove me to church this morning. I don't know about all this faith stuff that you're talking about, but I do know I have doubts and they are weighing so heavy on me. I need to let them go. And I need to place my faith in Jesus. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Just like Peter cried out, God save me. You can cry out the same prayer. There's nothing magical about it. It's just you inviting the, the, the God of the universe into your life and say, I want a relationship with you. I want to be able to give you my doubts. 
See, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody open the door, I will allow them to come in. I will dine with them and he with me. You will have a relationship together. And you can give him your doubts. And he'll take them on. That's why he died on the cross. Take all those doubts on himself. So church, let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.